0: This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbathanchel. The app store on your smartphone has something for everyone, including for mental health needs. There are prescription apps for substance use disorder and apps for depression like Happify and Sanvelo. There's Talkspace for online therapy and Headspace for meditation. It's one thing to record your heart rate or blood sugar via an app, but quite another to navigate complex human emotions through a chatbot. Coming up, we'll talk to health journalist Karen Brown about how a specific app uses artificial intelligence to provide low-cost therapy, and we'll hear why insurers like Cigna are including mental health apps in coverage. We want to hear from you, too. Do you use an app for depression, anxiety, or substance use disorders? What was your experience? Uh, Liz shared on Facebook that mental health apps made all the difference in the last year. Being able to continue meeting with her therapist was so very important. And again, you can join us as well. Now, our guests joining now on Zoom, Brianna Ben-Mirandi, who's a therapist at Art and Soul Art Therapy in Madison, Connecticut. Brianna, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Lucy. Now I understand you've been offering clients a combination of art and talk and app therapy even before the pandemic. Can you talk about that?
2: Yes, um, we've always been interested in whatever ways we're able to approach mental illness and healing. That um, if there's a way that is a possible solution, we I'm interested in learning more. So. We've been using uh, biofeedback and we have a system in the office um, that we use a lot, both with kids, teens, and our adults um, called Mightier, which is a tablet uh, with a number of pretty simple um, app games that connects to um, a heart rate monitor. And as we have our clients playing these games, the game will increasingly get harder which is a stress stimulation and the heart rate increases. And as the heart rate increases, the game responds um, by making it harder. Um, Little things will happen in the game that make it a lot harder and very clear that the, the person's heart rate is rising. As they continue to play, it will become impossible unless they regulate their heart rate. And in most cases, it requires pausing the game taking some deep breaths and getting that heart rate back down and we have seen um, both our clients and myself because I breathe along with them uh, that this trains the body to breathe automatically when the heart rate begins to increase so it's not even a conscious thought or decision it happens as an automatic bodily response from there on out with enough practice and that's a really neat thing to see.
0: I understand, so Mightier, that was something developed by
2: clinicians at Boston Children's and Harvard? Um, yeah, I believe, it, it, they, I know that they've done a lot of testing at um, at the Harvard Children's Hospital, um, and they are based in Boston. Um, and it's been a really great service. We were really hurting during the pandemic, um, not being able to be in the office to use that in the office. Um, so we did have some other apps that we've been able to kind of send folks home with and say, all right, this is something that you can use in your home. Um, although nothing, we haven't really been able to find a, a distance-based, really good solution for using Mightier in our office. But it can be used um, by people individually in their homes. Mm.
0: Now, I mentioned you're a licensed therapist, but how did your personal experience lead you to embrace this type of technology to manage mental health?
2: Um, I guess I've always been interested in technology. Um, I I play video games. I'm always fascinated with what else is coming out there. So um, when I first learned that I myself had adult ADHD, one of the apps recommended by a friend um, was called Habitica. And this was a a gamified to-do list. And uh, it's it's silly, but it gives me enough of a little dopamine pat on the back when I wash my dishes or get my chores done. And so I have, um, we use this in the office regularly to help keep our folks on task when they are home. And we have a little chat group in there and um, people get rewarded and they they earn gold coins and they level up their characters as they're going about and doing all the little items on their to-do list.
0: Are there particular um, apps when you think about that have helped you that uh, you are impressed with that when we think about how for so long people have often just ignored their mental health, but there's been more awareness in the last few years and that might be helping relieve some stigma that people are thinking about ways that they can reach out for help?
2: I'm hoping that that's the case. I know that there is still a lot of stigma attached, um, and it might be that people that are feeling stigmatized and not, you know, not ready to take that next step might turn to an app, and that's certainly better than nothing. Um, I've tried out also two apps, uh, one called Sayana, and one called Replica, which use AIs to talk with. Um, and Sayana, for example, offers some good tips and tricks like cognitive behavioral therapy tricks um, to help with reframing the the problem, taking deep breaths, using visualizations. Uh, although when I would try to talk to Sayana, she wouldn't always really understand what I was trying to convey and that was frustrating (laughs) um because an AI is it's not we're not quite to the the human level um and Replica was also fun I I was I was impressed with their AI as well although it that one is just really for chatting um it doesn't offer therapy techniques and it also you know would, would get some things wrong but I was really surprised at um the sort of level of artificial intelligence and this ai could do something that no therapist or friend um, can really offer in that it doesn't sleep and it's there 24 7. so um, in when somebody's feeling lonely or isolated um for example when i went through um, i went through perinatal depression And my hardest times would be in the middle of the night when I was awoken out of sound sleep with intense nausea and vomiting. And I didn't want to, you know, share the misery by waking up uh, my husband or family members. And that was a time that I had to kind of go through that alone. Um, This was nine years ago. So if there were AIs out there, I didn't know about them. But looking back, I think that I would have really appreciated just something, even artificial, to, you know, that, that I know is created just for me to communicate with um, and help me through those really isolating uh, evenings. <laughs>
0: Mm. That's interesting when you talk about how these apps can fulfill the need for access, especially in the last year when we've heard there have been so many people struggling and there's been such a surge in people using mental health apps, one of the reasons Mm -hmm. we're talking about this today. But what about the limitations, like the, the connection you get talking with an actual human therapist versus looking at your phone, Brianna?
2: It is. It is different, um, and 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 one of the challenges is that it's um, a little frustrating because when you go to communicate something, and you're you're, you're taking a risk. You're, you know, you know. I'm okay. I'm talking to a robot here, um, but I'm going to try this out, and I'm going to share a piece of myself. And when the AI comes back with something that's really off base, and you're going no no, you didn't understand this. The AI will apologize and say, sorry about that. Let's try again. But (laughs) you, you, it, it kind of breaks down the illusion and that's really what, you know, these apps are, are trying for, I think, is the illusion of human connection. Um, And I think that that can be, I think that there are times in our life when we're willing to settle for that illusion. Um, For example, those of us who have lost people that are important to us, um, we know we can't get them back after death, but if there was an AI that might be, you know, programmed to respond like they would, I think that some people would find comfort in that. However, when that illusion breaks down, then there's there's a frustration and an anger and and almost kind of a frustration at yourself like mm, I'm kind of fooling myself on this. Um, so I guess that's one of the the limitations. Mm-hmm.
0: You're listening to Where We Live on Connecticut Public as we talk about the use of mental health apps, especially on your smartphone during the pandemic. Uh, You've been hearing Brianna ben Morandi, who's a licensed therapist at Art and Soul Art Therapy in Madison, Connecticut, who's also used uh, some of these mental health apps. Uh, For another perspective, joining us now on Zoom is a psychiatrist that can talk about ways these apps can be used in a beneficial way. Dr. Paul Weigel, again, a psychiatrist and associate medical director at NatChog Hospital, which is part of Hartford Healthcare. Dr. Weigel, welcome to the show.
3: Thank you. Uh, good morning, Lucy. I'm happy to be here.
0: Now, I've mentioned the surge in the usage of these mental health apps. Uh, we know uh, so many of us have struggled in this last year and four or five months. And as a, as a provider uh, to address mental health needs, what have you seen in the pandemic and now in these, these months where we're kind of hoping it's in the rearview mirror?
3: Sure. So it seems to me the biggest effect of the pandemic on mental health was really a disruption of of, of uh, socializing and our regular daily habits that got us out of the house and with people and on a regular sleep schedule. And I saw this with both my adult patients and my my teenage patients. And and um, uh, and so this is, was related to over time an attempt to compensate by using uh, social media and online video games, uh, how, however, um, we did see just skyrocketing rates of, uh, of depression and ultimately anxiety um, uh, such that we've, we have never seen so many referrals for mental health treatment as we have in the last few months.
0: So do you see these mental help, health health uh, apps being, uh, there's a benefit to using them to help with anxiety and depression, Dr. Weigel?
3: There, there absolutely can be, but with great caveats. Some apps are, are really proven to be uh, effective. A very small number have even gotten FDA approval uh, for mental health treatment, but the vast majority are Completely untested, and uh, and so um, it's very difficult for uh, users to tell you know which apps are going to be helpful and which aren't. Uh, and and um, uh, some apps can be uh, effective in providing psychoeducation um, about mental illness. However, misinformation is rampant, and even good information uh, without the guidance of a professional. It can be confusing. You know, we call this medical student's disease when, when you know, getting this information that people often diagnose and, you know, misdiagnose the, the issues that they're having. And so that can lead to harm.
0: I understand you helped develop I believe Endeavor RX which is an FDA approved app for ADHD. So again in your perspective and experience there are particular uh, conditions that a mental health app might be helpful but you're you're saying people should be cautious about which ones they're engaging with.
3: Absolutely. You know, under the um, the uh, the supervision of a licensed clinical therapist, like Brianna, I, I, there's a number of apps that can be very useful. Um, many of my patients seem to benefit from meditation apps, uh, yoga apps, um, apps to help them connect with uh, AA or NA uh, meetings, if appropriate, um, and, uh, and 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 even to remember to take medications. Uh, so, so uh, apps in the right circumstance can be a wonderful. Uh, wonderful addition to uh, traditional therapy, but I really would caution um, anyone who is attempting to use apps in lieu of or instead of um, more proven um, uh, therapies.
0: You mentioned uh, that it's important to look at proven therapies. Are there instances where apps have caused harm, Dr. Weigel? What do we know?
3: Yeah, so uh, again, And so misinformation in these apps is random because really the supervision of these apps is very poor. The FDA doesn't regulate them. Um, And so, uh, for example, um, uh, their uh, apps have uh, given bad advice, like suggesting that bipolar disorder can be uh, contagious, um, or suggesting that uh, using alcohol before bed um, can can help uh, with getting a healthier sleep, and and you know these are this this kind of uh, misinformation uh, can certainly cause harm. But the biggest uh, concern. Is really that that uh, people may overinvest in apps um, as a, a way to address their mental health concerns instead of, you know, uh, seeking uh, a, a, a counselor or a psychiatrist like myself. Many young people um, turn to apps, most often social media uh, apps, uh, in order to learn about and in order to share their own experiences with mental health. Um, and And this can really reduce stigma and, and sometimes provide support, but it can also um, uh, have negative effects it can it can normalize unhealthy attitudes and, and behavior and even glorify them and I see a lot of young people who are looking for a connection with a group who really invest in the identity of being mentally ill in order to um, gain a connection with their peers online um, uh, get um, uh, get support uh, in a way that is ultimately self-defeating.
0: Well, you referenced young people earlier in our conversation. So what are you hearing from pediatricians in this difficult year? What are they seeing?
3: Yeah, so I consult to, to, um, uh, to pediatricians across the state. And what they are seeing is just an unprecedented um, uh, number of issues, especially among um, middle school age, latency age, and uh, teenage patients of depression, of uh, anxiety, uh, young people are really hurting out there. And getting access to a mental health professional has never been more difficult, which means that pediatricians have really been um, left to to uh, to try to help and solve a lot of these issues on their own. So pediatricians used to tell me that their day was filled with sore throats and asthma and minor injuries and shots, and now really they're filled with uh, help, trying to help Uh, young people who are having depression and anxiety.
0: Mm. I want to go back to Brianna ben Morandi, who's with us, a licensed therapist who uses some mental health apps with her clients at Art and Soul Art Therapy in Madison, Connecticut. Brianna, how do you respond to what Dr. Weigel shared?
2: I I think that it, I definitely agree that it is hard to find access to a mental health clinician right now. Uh, We, on the wave of uh, a physical medical pandemic, we are in the midst of a mental health pandemic. And especially um, therapists that work with children and teens, um, there are, there was a shortage even before that. So um, I I think that, I, I don't know that we're there yet as far as, you know, technology replacing um, therapy that, you know, the. The professionals, um, and and obviously I'm a little biased, but the professionals in my field have been studying this and have been working with other humans and cases and reading the research and compiling that on a daily basis with new information, um, new experiences, um, to, to kind of bring the latest research melded with years of history to clients and to be able to adjust that to the nuances of a client experience. So a client may feel, for example, that they're losing their mind in the moment um, and kind of jump to some major conclusions, whereas a, a therapist can say, look, you you're being faced with these stressors and you're not the only client that I'm seeing that's having these challenges. And a lot of it is to do with the environment. So I can assure you that this is not, you know, this is not a, a permanent major diagnosis, but this is a struggle that you're working through right now. And here are the tips that I have that are going to help you in your specific case. Um, Technology is not quite there as far as those nuances.
0: I wanna thank Brianna Ben-Mirandi for joining us on Where We Live, again, to talk about the usage of mental health apps. Brianna, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Staying with us is Dr. Paul Weigel, Psychiatrist and Associate Medical Director at Natchog Hospital, part of Hartford HealthCare, as we continue talking about uh, how technology is being used to help people with mental health needs. Are you one of them? You can join us as well. Coming up, we hear how insurers have embraced digital mental health, and we'll take your questions too. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbatanchel. Even before the pandemic, nearly half of Americans surveyed reported feeling lonely or left out. That's according to Cigna. That's in 2018. Now COVID-19 exacerbated those feelings of isolation in greater numbers. And now insurance companies have added a large selection of mental health apps, virtual mental health care to their networks. Joining us now over Zoom to discuss this trend is Dr. Doug Nemesek, Chief Medical Officer for Behavioral Health at Cigna. Dr. Nemesek, welcome to our show.
1: Thank you, Lucy. It's a pleasure to be on today with you.
0: So can you quantify this increase Cigna has seen in the app downloads that your members have used, especially in the last year?
1: Sure. So uh, we've seen a, as Dr. Weigel was talking about uh, a huge increase in the number of our customers who have been outreaching and accessing mental health supports in general. And, uh, and with the pandemic over the last year, what we saw was that really was a shift from traditional in-person uh, therapy and psychiatry visits uh, to, to more digital and, and virtual care supports. Uh, prior to the pandemic, we saw really at less than 2% of the claims that we received for care were provided virtually or digitally, and that quickly accelerated up to 60% or more of of the claims for outpatient care that we were receiving last year uh, as the pandemic uh, came down across the country. That has stayed consistent over the last year and we still see 60 to 65% of the outpatient claims that we're receiving uh, being for care that's being driven virtually, providers have started to understand how to deliver care more virtually and digitally. And then uh, to, your, to your point, we've added these uh, dig- digital specific providers to our network as well. Uh, uh, apps like Talkspace uh, joined our network uh, a little over a year ago. And we quickly within weeks saw over 5,000 of our customers create profiles and and start uh, receiving care through uh, Talkspace when they joined our network. We've added other providers as well, Mm -hmm. digital providers like Maru, that is providing uh, virtual 12-week structured cognitive behavioral programs uh, uh, through their digital app. They also have some biofeedback that was talked about earlier Mm -hmm. with Brianna. They have some biofeedback built into their programs. We've uh, offered I Prevail, which is an online, uh, on-demand CBT and peer coaching uh, model. We've got Happify, a resilience app that's available, and we've seen significant increases in the use of all of these Mm. uh, digital and virtual supports over the last year.
0: So you've given us some examples. I think it is interesting to hear that this has remained consistent, even as we've seen COVID restrictions lifted in our state and in other places around our country. Why do you think that is, Dr. Nemesek, that people are continuing to gravitate and use these apps?
1: Well, digital and virtual care provides a lot of uh, advantages that I think uh, the individual patient or customer recognizes. It, it's more convenient I can access care from my couch from my home uh, from my car uh, wherever I'm at uh, it's available many of these apps are available at night on weekends holidays uh, when it when we really need to reach out for help one of the things I hear all the time from from patients and customers is that you know they don't access care or raise their hand for help until it becomes an emergency. And that emergency or crisis doesn't happen at noon on Wednesday, it happens on Friday night or Saturday uh, with the family. And and so the therapist office or the psychiatrist office may not be available. And even if you could call to get an appointment, you might have to wait five, 10, 15 days to to get in to be seen. So being able to go to an app uh, you know, Ginger, another, another uh, digital program that we brought into our network and within minutes be able to connect, create an account, connect to a coach and start having a dialogue with somebody from the privacy and comfort of my home really is an advantage for, for many people
0: when you talk about many people that are part of your membership base so can you give us more of an idea of the demographic that is continuing to use the digital mental health dr Nemesic?
1: sure so so Cigna is a global health service company and 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 we have over 14 million customers across the united states with behavioral health benefits through commercial health plans with Cigna. As, as we see the increased utilization across the board of our digital providers and, and, and uh, virtual services in our, in our benefit plan, uh, we actually see utilization across all demographics. Uh, but when we, we uh, dive in to really see where that is, um, uh, what we're finding is it's uh, females more than males accessing these services. Um, and to some degree, that's consistent with what we see across mental health care in general. Females and, and women have always accessed behavioral health care more often than men. Uh, but And then we're seeing the age demographic of 25 to, to 40 or 45 being the age range that is most commonly accessing and using these uh, services as well. Mm.
0: And when you think about how Cigna chooses these apps uh, to include an employer-sponsored health care, how do you do it? What evidence is out there that, uh, while it's accessible, that they actually help people? There's long-term outcomes that are successful.
1: Yeah, it's really important for us to, to try to be sure when we offer one of these services to our customers that we can you know, assure them that they are going to get high quality evidence-based care and support for, for their condition and their symptoms, whatever they're, they're looking for. And, and you've heard some of the concerns from Dr. Wiegel as well about how not all of the apps that are out there have research behind them, have that evidence base. Uh, so as we, as we evaluate uh, the various virtual and digital uh, services and, and talk with them, we look for what research and evidence that they do have. Some of them, many of them even are working with academic centers doing research. Uh, others are are working with actuarial firms and, and other academic resources to, uh, to do some research. And so looking for that evidence. One of the other uh, things that is, has been really an innovative improvement from a lot of these digital Apps is the ability to build in uh, measurement to the, the, the care that and service that they're providing. So there's been a gap in in in, in mental health care and from providers in sort of measuring uh, objectively how someone's depression or anxiety is improving. And uh, but these digital companies and who are starting from new with their innovative programs are often embedding. Uh, tools like a PHQ-9, which is a, a tool that monitors and measures depression symptoms, or, a, a, or what we call a GAD-7, which is a tool that measures anxiety symptoms. And they build these tools into their programs and so they can collect data over time to show how symptoms are improving. Um, so we're gathering that information as we decide who to partner with and, uh, and put into our network and then we continue to gather that data now as they're in our network. So we can look specifically now at our Signet customers uh, and see the improvement that our customers are getting when they access Ginger or Talkspace or Maru or any of the apps that are uh, available within our benefit plan today.
0: You're hearing Dr. Doug Nemesek again, Chief Medical Officer for Behavioral Signet. Talk again about mental health apps and how insurers like Cigna and others are bringing these uh, virtual and digital uh, products uh, into uh, their networks uh, to help address uh, a need uh, for many Americans and others, as uh, there have been a surge in, in mental health needs, especially in this year and four months of, of isolation. If you have been have been using these mental health apps, or you want to give your experience of what it was like uh, to use virtual mental health care in this last year we'd love to hear from you as well you can find us on facebook and twitter uh, at where we live uh, dr Nemasek, i imagine that there's also cost savings uh, to cigna uh, by uh, bringing in these apps uh, versus uh, paying for one of your customers to see an in-person therapist can you talk about that sure so
1: they're, they're from a from a uh, economic situation this is this is a win-win for everybody it Uh, often is less expensive to provide uh, a digital app or a digital service, uh, or some of them who are providing, even if they provide a coach, it's a less expensive resource than maybe a therapist or a psychiatrist. Um, But the other advantages that go with that are the fact that um, when somebody has access to the convenience and the privacy and they're willing and able to raise their hand and access care, it, they're getting into care sooner, maybe before the symptoms get as severe or complex as they might have otherwise. If the person was waiting and waiting until it was so severe that they didn't know what else to do and ended up in the hospital or ended up needing to see a psychiatrist, this expands the availability, uh, and, and more people that access care early, uh, and get their, get their needs met with one of these digital or virtual resources opens up another therapist appointment or psychiatrist appointment for the individuals that still need that higher level of care. Uh, as as Dr. Weil said, not everybody can get their needs met with just a digital or virtual app. Uh, And by expanding the options that are available and letting people have access to the care that's appropriate for them when they need that care, it helps expand access across the whole uh, provider continuum for, for
0: people. Mm. Uh, you mentioned Dr. Paul Weigel. He's still with us, a psychiatrist, associate medical director at Natchog Hospital, part of Hartford Healthcare. Dr. Weigel, what's your take as you hear Dr. Nemasek from Cigna talk about particular apps uh, that they're using uh, for their customers and some of the benefits?
3: Yeah, so uh, I, I do think that it is um, uh, admirable that um, uh, that Cigna is collecting this data that they're trying um, uh, new methods um, in order to treat people who are in need and and of course the accessibility and the affordability um, both to the insurance and to the the patient themselves are huge benefits and and also these these apps um, often uh, feel or seem anonymous although there is some concern with many about data um, uh, safety. That said, you know, um, Lucy, you mentioned long-term evidence of long-term efficacy, and I just want to stress that there really is is virtually none. There are some, you know, um, a few apps that have been shown um, in just preliminary studies to to be effective in the short term, but but the only apps that have really good evidence are those to be used under the direction of therapists, not instead of uh, a therapist. So. So I would uh, advise um, uh, consumers to be cautious in their use. And I think it's good to try new things, but not necessarily to uh, depend on on unproven uh, techniques for, uh, for help.
0: Dr. Nemesek, so let's talk about, you mentioned Talkspace a couple of times. This was a text-based therapy. And so when you think about what is effective for your customers and evidence-based, is this something that that has that data to back up?
1: Sure. Well, Talkspace specifically has published some of their their research and literature. Um, They've had, uh, even prior to uh, being uh, able to accept Cigna, customers through, uh, through our health plans, has, has been collecting data and, and looking at that. And they're able to show uh, clinical improvement across anxiety, depression, uh, across large groups of patients. We talked earlier, Dr. Weibel was talking about uh, the importance of the, the therapeutic relationship with the provider, and, 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 and we all know that's important. And so Talkspace with their coaches, uh, has also looked at that and measures and tracks satisfaction with the provider and engagement with their their coaches and uh, to be able to show that some data that that they are creating that relationship as well. So I think um, all of these, uh, you know, we want to continue to see that data and, and to Dr. Weigel's comments. Want to see the the long term outcomes as well, uh, but we also know that. Uh, you know, 60% of individuals with behavioral health symptoms and conditions were not accessing any type of care at all. And the ability to provide more care, uh, to allow people uh, to decrease that stigma a little bit, reach out, access care, access it maybe sooner in a more uh, preventive health kind of way even, and uh, uh, can really help get people some care and support that they need to address uh, their, their mental health challenges.
0: Uh, Dr. Weigel mentioned this earlier about uh, so many young people needing help and uh, parents struggling uh, to help them and trying to get appointments, and we've heard this from other providers. And so with all these apps out there that uh, can provide uh, some level of connection and potential treatment, is it still difficult for your customers to find that in-person experience, that in-person therapy that they need, uh, Dr. Nemiseek, and, and what's the solution there?
1: So I we I would say that the top two uh, concerns I hear from our, our customers and clients is really that people have trouble accessing care and that they don't in and if they think about care they don't know even know where to go start to look for accessing care uh, and so what we are really working to do is help people uh, access care when they need it where and when when they need it and where they want to access that. And how can we make that access simple uh, and and then to the earlier point, affordable for them as well. So virtual care, opening up access virtually so that they don't have to be seen in the office expands the the availability of all the providers in our network. And we still have a very large network of in-person brick and mortar office providers. and, and many of them now are also able to provide care virtually through, uh, through HIPAA compliant technology, et cetera. And that expands their reach across the state and across uh, across regions. And then adding these digital apps and virtual care just allows us to continue to expand that further uh, so that that more people hopefully uh, are are willing and able to easily access some care and support when they need it.
0: Well, I want to thank Dr. Doug Nemesek again for joining us from Cigna. He's Chief Medical Officer for Behavioral Health as we talk about uh, the usage of mental health apps increasing. Dr. Nemesek, thank you for your time. We appreciate it. Thank you. And Dr. Paul Weigel, psychiatrist and associate medical director at Nachog Hospital, part of Hartford HealthCare. We appreciate your perspective as well. Thank you, Dr. Weigel.
3: Thanks for having me, Lucy.
0: This is Where We Live. Coming up, we learn about another therapist in your pocket, powered by artificial intelligence. It's called Wobot. You can join us too. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. We've been talking about apps for mental health needs. There are thousands of mental health apps out there, and the market for them is projected to reach $3.3 billion in the next six years. Uh, Joining us now is a public radio reporter who's written about one of these apps. She's a freelancer for the New York Times, also health reporter at New England Public Radio. Karen Brown, welcome to
4: our show. Thank you, I'm glad to be here.
0: Now you wrote specifically about a mental health app called Wobod, again, using artificial intelligence. Tell us about this app
4: Well, this is one of several apps that use artificial intelligence to sort of deplo deploy the principles of cognitive behavioral therapy so um it's basically an artificial therapist and and the you know customers will um, type in what their problems are and ideally the the Wobot which I think is a very clever name yes um, it's a, you know robot therapist will come back with um, with tips about how you can deal with certain types of anxieties and depression um, using what's in their arsenal what's what um, the algorithm tells them is are the you know the standard tips for how to deal with these issues
0: so it sounds cool, but when you talk to users and you're reporting, how did it work for them?
4: I mean the you know and, and I, I did reporting on on this kind of therapy as well as some, several of the other kinds of mental apps, um, mental health apps. I mean mixed, you know that mm-hmm. there's the question of is this better than nothing and is that the bar that people should be using? And there were certainly some young people in particular who couldn't afford or find a regular in-person therapist that thought well here's something that i can just you know get on my phone it's not very expensive or in some cases it's free wobot is currently free um, and you know isn't that better than not having anyone to talk to um, you know, in some cases, they felt like, well, not necessarily, <laughs> you know, they felt like they weren't really being heard or the, the responses were very rote and, and not terribly helpful. You know, on the other hand, it it also let some people know, well, I really should be looking for a more traditional therapist because clearly that is what I need. Um, and, and again, in some cases, um, it may be that it is better than nothing, but there's a lot of dispute whether that is really the the bar that should be followed or whether um that lets the industry you know the mental health industry or field as a whole off the hook for providing more of the traditional types of therapy
0: you know if you and i go to our the app stores on our phones right now i mean there's so many apps out there i mean i can't i can't believe there's more than ten thousand at least mental health apps uh, on the market and so You know, how are these uh, apps being overseen in terms of who's studying them? Who's regulating them? Anybody?
4: (laughs) Well, I mean, that is a big question in in the field over who is regulating them and and who should be and and really even what that looks like. Um, I did interview um, one of the heads of the FDA's digital health um, division and you know, he told me that, you know, they, they try to regulate some of these apps, but that's limited to those who claim to be diagnostic or to claim to give actual treatment. And the truth is that a lot of these apps imply that what they do is traditional treatment um, in their advertising. But if you read the terms of service, they will say, you know, we are not therapy. This is not therapy. This is a wellness app, or this is self-help. And once they define themselves that way, the FDA steps back and says, okay, we'll give you some guidance, but we can't actually make you do anything because you're not claiming to be, you know, an actual device or an actual um, form of of mental health treatment. So, you know, so there is some, there's a lot of, you know, confusion on on whether the FDA is actually regulating as much as they should um, and whether companies are sort of sidestepping some of that. There's also, there are several professional organizations that, I don't know if they would say they're regulating, but they're trying to rank and evaluate some of these apps you know as a service. Um, but even those, you know they can be really helpful. There's some um, there's some websites that are sort of like the consumer reports for mental health apps. But even then the criteria is up to the people who are doing the evaluating and you know different people might have different criteria and different things they should they think the apps should provide. Mm-hmm.
0: I can't help but just think back to this last year and so many of us being isolated, how that has impacted anxiety and depression in our country and this idea that you can then go to a screen and potentially get some help. I mean, it just seems like what we were needing in this last year was that human connection, Karen.
4: Right. Well, you know, there's there's different kinds of connections, right? So, you know, I think a lot of people would say that Zoom was a lifesaver. And I, I know that I, you know, I went to my therapist over Zoom after years of in-person, and it was definitely better, better than nothing. But um, there is, you know, there is concern that by assuming that everything can be converted digitally and especially using ai which mm-hmm. is even a further you know there's zoom therapy is one thing but ai robot therapy is is a completely different non-human connection um you know does that work for everybody is that a replacement i think many people would um you know including dr weigel this mentioned earlier that's not really a replacement for a more robust mental health system and if anything this you know, anything. Anything this pandemic has shown is that we need more of a robust system, and it's not clear that the digital world can make up for that.
0: When you talk about AI, this idea uh, again, when we, algorithms over empathy.
4: <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, Wobot actually has done a study that they say shows that AI can express empathy Um, and they they asked some of their customers like do you feel that Wobot cares about you you know do you feel affection from Wobot or to Wobot and you know many people said sure we do but that's not necessarily the same thing as actual connection and that was some of the critics that I um, interviewed. They're like, you know, you really need the therapist to understand what you're saying, not just to act as though they Mm -hmm. understand, but to actually understand and actually care about you. And I think there's hopes that AI might eventually do that. But I think, um, you know, even the the companies that run them, uh, you know, say we're not quite there yet.
0: You've been a health reporter for a long time, Karen, uh, as you heard our guests and in your reporting you think that, that these mental health apps are here to stay. There's an ability for them to coexist with traditional therapy.
4: I mean, I think a lot of the a lot of the leaders in the field who are very much pro digital um, digital devices or, or, you know, digital apps say that it has to be in concert with actual therapists. That that's how it can work, that it shouldn't be either or. And and I think, you know, as Dr. Weigel was saying, there is not a lot of research, but the research that is out there seems to say that what works best is when you have a psychiatrist or a therapist or psychologist overseeing the use of these digital apps so that they are complementing what's more traditional and, and, and allowing more access instead of replacing. And I think that's what most in the field are, are saying. That's where it should be going. Hmm.
0: Do you have uh, any uh, suggestions for listeners who want to learn more about the best way to select these apps, what they should look for on a website or the ad language around these particular apps, Karen?
4: Well, I would suggest you go to the terms of service. So there's certainly a lot of these apps and websites will say on their webpage, you know, clinically proven to... You know, make you feel better. But then if you look at the terms of service, it'll say, but we're not actually therapy and we have a lot of limitations. And don't expect this to be a replacement for what you would get, you know, from your neighborhood therapist. So I would just be a little critical in that regard and compare what the ads say with what actually their lawyers tell them they can say. Um, But there are also um, websites you can go to. I think One Mind Guide is one of them that um, is sort of presents itself as the. Zoom reports and lists a whole bunch of these mental ap- health apps and tells you what, they're, what they believe they're good at and what believe, they believe they're not good at. Um, so that's one way of doing it.
0: Can you repeat that again, Karen? One Mind Guide, is that what you said?
4: Yes, it's called One Mind or cy- Cyber Guide, actually, I think is what you would Google. Psy um, c- as in P-S-Y <laughs> as in psychologist. <laughs> cyber Guide, very clever. These guys are very clever, all of them.
0: That's right. Well, Karen, your story on Wobot really piqued my interest. It led us to this show. I can't wait to, to read your follow-ups again. You're a health reporter at oh, New England Public Radio and a freelancer at the New York Times. We really appreciate your time today, Karen. Thank you.
4: Well, thank you. My pleasure.
0: And we'll tweet out some links at where we live, including uh, that last website that Karen suggested. I'm Lucy Nalpa Today's show produced by Sujata Srinivasan. Matt Dwyer was our call screener. Our technical producer is Kat Pastor. Tomorrow we're back with a show about menopause. We hope you can join us then.